This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. Week 8 in the NFL. This season has absolutely flown by just about the halfway point in the season. And welcome to NFL Friday, WFUV's one-on-one Friday. I'm John Furlong. Tommy Aldridge across from me, our Giants beat reporter. We've got John DeBarro and Don Muscarella with us. John DeBarro going to be our fantasy expert for today. And it's... Oh, excuse me. John DeBarro is going to be our fantasy expert. And Don Muscarella is going to be our, yes. our, our our host for today. There we go. Thank you, Charlie, in the back. And Charlie Maizano, get a nice little shout-out in the back for his producing. All right. So we're going to start off talking about Thursday night football. Everybody giving me a smirk around the table. Uh, it was a fantastic performance from the Dolphins. Like, they are really one of the better teams in the league this year. Absolutely destroyed the Ravens last night. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, really, that's, that's, or that's what I would like to think. Really backed up that comeback performance against the Jets. I personally, John, you seem to be wearing your... I don't know what teal and white and orange glasses. <laughs> I, I'll say this: I specifically asked Charlie Maizano if I could host today, just after the Thursday night game, because everybody plays one Thursday night game, and I figured, why not after the Dolphins are playing on Thursday night? And I sincerely regret that decision. Now we've got to talk about the Ravens' forty to nothing shellacking of the Dolphins, which was just an absolutely embarrassing performance from Miami. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll also talk about the biggest story from that game. That was the cat running across the field and Tony Romo <laughs> commentating on it. That went viral today. Well, hold on. How about, have we heard an update from Joe Flacco? Is he all right? Is he not? Is he dead? I, I don't know. He looked real worse for it. And we're going to talk about that. That's also goodness. probably the biggest story to come out, <laughs> biggest game story to come out of last night because that was, was brutal. Absolutely. Man. It was an absolute disaster. Then we're going to move into a bit of Jets talk. Jets, again, Dolphins relevant again. They coming off that Absolute collapse against the Dolphins where their offense couldn't do anything in their defense. Most specifically, Buster Screen couldn't do anything to stop Kenny Stills. And they blew a 14-point lead in 12 minutes and ended up losing the game 31-28 to the Dolphins. Sorry, Buster Screen. Well, <laughs> Buster Screen's not a number one corner. And that's always something I've said yeah. about him. Uh, he's just not that guy on the outside. And, and he's been put in situations recently where he has to be that guy. So it's kind of an issue. If that's your situation, and then we'll move on to the Giants as our uh, we'll get our Jets rep- our Jets yeah. report from Matt Murphy and our Giants report from you, Tommy and Dom. Your team now one and six. We know you're a big Giants guy, yeah. and honestly, that 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 Denver win looks more of a reflection on how bad Denver is than how good the Giants were in that game. Right. All the narratives after the Denver game are gone now. The whole you know maybe they can win a bunch in Absolutely. a row and sneak back in the playoffs. Maybe. Ben McAdoo giving away the the uh, offensive play calling. Maybe that would give them a bit of a turnaround. Nope, turnaround with another disgusting offensive performance against the Seahawks. Yeah. All around, you know, Eli Manning under 150 yards again, and, you know, just not much time. Oh, that's ugly. Running backs didn't perform very well either. Just across the board, it's just another ho-hum, really bad offensive performance from the Giants, leaving the fans to scratch their heads once more. That was 100% the correct word to describe that disgusting. And I, unfortunately, that game was the local game here in New York, and I was sitting there suffering through that. Tommy Aldrich was there suffering through that game. That was just, the first half was just awful from both teams. Finally, the Seahawks kind of kicked it into gear in the second half and pulled away and actually made that a uh, respectable game in the end. At least for at least one team played respectably. Giants definitely did not. And then we'll finish up the show with probably our favorite segment. We've got our NFL Friday Pick'em Week 8 
And we've got, if you want to follow along with how everybody's doing, at WFUV Sports on Twitter, you can see everybody's picks. That'll go up later tonight, and you'll see the results on Tuesday. And you can see everybody's record for the season. A lot of us have been on a lot of times this season, myself included. And you can see how everybody's picks are throughout the season. All right, let's start. Let's do this. I, I wanted I wanted to do this. That's why I wanted to come on this, <laughs> this show. This is like a, a thing for you. And this is not the way I thought this was going to go. Dolphins, absolute disaster. Matt Moore looked lost. And I'm, that's honestly the thing that shocked me the most. I thought Matt Moore, he came in and played so, so, so well against the Jets. And he just, he got absolutely, he was manhandled by that Baltimore defense. They couldn't get anything going in the run game, which has been a common theme for the Dolphins this season. J.H.I., one of the better running backs in the league, and he can't get anything going. My condolences if you have him in fantasy this year. As good as they looked, as good as this team looked in the second half against the Jets, they looked so bad last night. Two pick sixes, and you and I were talking about this before the show. 20 to nothing in Miami driving a little bit before the before halftime, and Moore throws that pick six right into, uh, what, what was his C. name? C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley throws it right into his arms, and it's returned for a touchdown, and the, the game's over right there. I mean, if, if the Dolphins could have cut up to 20 to 7, yeah. that's a two-possession game at halftime, and they're still in it, but man, oh man, that was that was a real backbreaker. Yeah, and, and it's 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 it was a few things with the Dolphins for me. One was Matt Moore, and that was just weird. I I didn't get to see him against the Jets, but you're saying he played well, and I totally yeah, believe you. He played you. really well. Thirteen to twenty-one for I gotta go back seventy some odd yards and watch that because where was that last night? I mean, he really looked down and out, uh, sort of confused, but also uh, for Miami. And, John, I want to know what you think about this. Mm-hmm. The running game, I'm, I thought this was J.H.I.'s time. I know. And Laramie Tunsil, how is his situation? Well, the offensive line can't block anybody. They're better. Last year they were better run blocking than they were pass blocking. This this year it's kind of the opposite. I mean, they're not a great offensive line. Tunsil's regressed this year. He's not really the number one pick that people thought he was going to be in the draft two years ago. And what about Juwan James? I'm sorry. I had to. I was going to say, is he a tackle on that team? Because yes. he was a free agent signing. I know. I, sort of big one. It's just, been, it's just been a mess for the Dolphins on the offensive line. Not as bad as maybe the, the Giants offensive line, but it's it's not been great. And for this team... To, this team is built around J.H.I. If he's running the ball well, that opens up all the passing lanes because, let's face it, Jay Cutler, Matt Moore, and Ryan Tannehill, they're, they're mid to lower lower tier quarterbacks in this league. So they need that they need that space by defenses respecting the run. And if they don't respect the run because they're stuffing it all game, they're not going to be able to get those passing lanes and these, these quarterbacks are going to be so ineffective. And it's, it's really a shame because J.H.I. is such a talent. And oh, I wish he could be. He had two 200-yard rushing, rushing games last year. I hope he is able to break out in a game like that this year because he's been he's really, really struggling. He's getting frustrated, you can tell. When he turned it on at the end of last year, I said, okay, wow, there's the guy people saw in the yeah. draft that were getting excited. He was a, he was a late round pick because of his injury concerns. Yeah, he he's was been great. A later round pick. He wasn't in the. He might have even been a second rounder. You thought he was a. Se- I'm gonna look that up real quick. You, you keep talking. But he was a high profile back. Regardless, he was a high profile back coming out of college. Boise State. He came out. And of. it's like, man, when he's going, he was a fifth round pick. People worried. Whoa! They were wor- people were worried about injury concerns. I remember it's funny, this. Funny, we're all surprised because he was definitely a bigger name than fifth round. Yes, pick, so. he, that was his. Everyone was worried about his injury concerns. He had a lot of problems with that at Boise State, but he, everybody knew he was a big talent, and and uh, the Dolphins took a shot on him. It took him a year or two to uh, get really into the first team. I mean, the beginning of last season, Adam Gase didn't take him to Seattle in week one because he threw a fit because Arian Foster supplanted him as the number one back, and look at where Arian Foster is now. I think he re- just like quit halfway through the season last year. He retired, which is which just shows you how, how things can and have changed. Dom, over to you. 
So taking into account everything you said about the offensive line and then the two inconsistent performances by Matt Moore, who, the Dolphins organization does say that um, that Jay Cutler will be starting next week if he is healthy. Would you have Jay Cutler starting next week after his inconsistent start to the season? I don't want him to. I don't want Jay Cutler starting. If you look at him in the pocket, he just looks so unprepared and he just looks so unconfident. Like he sits there and has what's called happy feet in the pocket. He 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 doesn't set his feet. He's moving around. He's worried. He thinks he's going to get hit. And then he throws like a a, a really low accuracy, low percentage pass at the feet of his receiver. And you, it, it just makes you want to pull your hair out because you know he's got the talent. He's got the big arm. His week one performance was pretty solid. I mean, week two technically for the Dolphins, but week week two for the league, but week one for the Dolphins because they had that weird week one bye this year. But he looked so good. He had a lot of deep balls to Kenny Stills. He was throwing the ball to Jarvis Landry and ended up winning that game. But in those two games after, he really, really regressed. And ever since then, he's been a, he's been pretty poor. And I think a lot of people expected that. I, in my teal and and white glasses really thought that Jay Cutler was going to be a wash with Ryan Tannehill, but this it's not it's not been like that. Jay Cutler, Adam Gase is a huge Jay Cutler fan, probably the only Jay Cutler fan in the world, so he <laughs> will start on Sunday. This the only reason that that was the only way Jay Cutler was not going to start is if he was injured, because even if he went five for thirty with twenty yards of 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 passing and four interceptions, Adam Gase would still start him because he's a bit of a he has a bit of a thick skull. Let's be honest, he's got a bit of an eagle on him. He doesn't want to admit he was wrong bringing Jay Cutler here. Yeah, and and the thing about Jay Cutler, it's interesting you say he doesn't care because it's like it's funny. What has been the biggest shot against Jay Cutler going back to his days and. I'm not care. sure Denver, but definitely Chicago. He doesn't care, and he just... His character. Yeah, it's a character thing. But the one thing, and, and I'm going to bring up a name here, Devontae Parker, I thought that Jay Cutler and Devontae Parker, you know, we're always saying that this is the year Devontae Parker's going to break out. I thought Jay Cutler would be such a catalyst yeah. to that. And I'm disappointed. I was disappointed by his inactive status. That was for personal fantasy reasons. <laughs> but regardless, I do believe that Devontae Parker... You know there there is the glaring quarterback issue, but let's just assume, let's assume you have sound quarterback play in in Miami. Just this offense on paper, if you have a number one wideout on the outside, Devontae Parker, that really is the missing link. Because then it's like, oh man, we're set. I know. And if Devontae Parker can command attention, which I really believe he can, Juice Landry is going to be he's so good. killing it. He's so good. He, he I mean he can be a number one receiver, but he's not built for it. And if he does have one. Oh my uh, goodness, watch out. Better. I know. And then you have Jay Ajayi. So it's just that it could be such an explosive offense with those three weapons. Devontae Parker has been pretty solid in the games he's played. Obviously, a little bit of injury, but we got we got to move on. When to I say breakout, I mean like he's got to be a, like a top five fantasy receiver okay. because he was that the ninth you or eleventh overall pick. Eleventh overall so. pick out of Louisville back in two thousand and fifteen. Same year as Jay Ajayi, so they're both in their same year. We got to talk about the Kiko Alonso hit. I didn't think it was dirty. Definitely a penalty. I didn't think it warranted an ejection. I I I understand that that Baltimore were just protecting their quarterback and they thought the hit was dirty. But how is a penalty not called on Baltimore? Kiko Alonso got shoved to the ground and an offensive lineman went after his head, yeah. and there was no penalty call. Are you kidding me? Like I understand that that is what that's that's going to be the big thing. Everybody's just like, oh, hits on quarterbacks and all that. But an offensive lineman, three hundred and fifty pounds, went straight at some dude's neck. Like you can't, you're not going to call a penalty on that. That's a, that's a joke. That should have been offsetting penalties. That'll only lead to more things like this in the long run if those things don't get. Penalized. That's ridiculous. The refs just turned a blind eye to that. Like what? And John Harbaugh came. Get back on your sideline. You need to yeah. shut up. All right. I know your brother's really famous for being a hothead, but get back on the <laughs> yeah. sideline. Seriously, get out of players' faces. You're better than that. No, it was very. It was such an interesting sequence last night 
Because here's the thing. You, it's very hard to look at that hit and say it's not a dirty hit, it's not targeting. It is. But like many things, it's not black and white, it's not yes or no. I will just say this. I wasn't surprised when he took the shot. Because I said, why? I said Joe Flacco, when he was running, I think he was trying to get the first down, he was running with some oomph. Oh, and I was like, Joe Flacco, was. why are you doing that? Why are you looking like you're trying to get to the end zone? You're not going to get to the end zone? And, and it, this was literally, these thoughts were happening as the play was unfolding. He was running with this head of steam that I said, and just when it happened, I said, yeah, yeah that's, that's what you gonna get happen. for looking that serious. I know. But that you gotta being be said, your, it's, you gotta it's, be a both, it's a two-way street, and it was it was a targeting play. It's, and he took such a lick. And then I also just want to say I'm glad you pointed out the offensive line thing. Yeah, because that's that ridiculous. Because that replay was crazy. That's ridiculous. He was in a vulnerable position. He was, like on the, he was on like a knee after laying the shot. And then the offensive lineman just comes and destroys and him. He shoves him, and, and then, then when his back is on the ground, his face to the head, like, yeah, it was pretty. That was crazy. absolutely ridiculous. And, and we I got, think we, that's what fired him up, and I think that's what made him go to Harbaugh. Yeah, I yeah. So I want to know what they were saying. I would like to 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 hear that as well. We do have to move on. We're going to talk Jets in just a little bit, but I do want to say nothing but the best for Joe Flacco. He, that looked really, really ugly. Yeah. He looked really dazed. And Joe Flacco is a great quarterback. He seems to be a great guy. So I'm, nothing but the best for Joe Flacco. All right, we're going to talk Jets in just a second, but here's. John DeBarro with our first fantasy update of the day. Who are some of the safest bets in fantasy this week? Here are the players our expert thinks you must start if you're looking to win your matchup. Philip Rivers has quietly performed as a top 10 fantasy quarterback all year long and now faces a weak Patriots pass defense that has allowed the most fantasy points per game to AFC quarterbacks. In his last four games, Rivers has thrown eight touchdowns to just one interception. His strong play of late, coupled with a favorable matchup in New England, makes Rivers a safe play this week. Since Dalvin Cook went down with the torn ACL in Week 4, Jarek McKinnon has gotten at least 14 carries in each of the three games since. His running mate in the backfield, Latavius Murray, had a big performance last week, but McKinnon has been more efficient on the ground. The Vikings are in Cleveland this week, and while the Browns' run defense is solid, McKinnon's big play potential and consistent role in the passing game make him the Minnesota running back to start. Pierre Garçon continues to thrive as the 49ers' number one option in the passing game, regardless of who's under center. Garçon has hauled in at least five catches in five of his seven games this season and draws a nice matchup versus a beatable Eagles defense. If the Niners are forced to play from behind, look for the dependable Garçon to rack up the yards. And those are your surefire starters for Week 8. Ooh, surefire starters. I like that, John DeBarro. Yeah. There's a, some solid fantasy picks. I saw you shaking your head at uh, Jarek McKinnon. He's, yeah, well, uh, he's, he's been solid so far. He has been. I, such a great word to describe it. He has been so much more efficient than Latavius because yeah, it seems has. like Latavius gets these carries, but if you just watch the game, McKinnon gets like 10 yards a carry. Yeah, he just gets the big plays. So, so hold on. Just to be clear, you said Latavius is your guy in that duo? McKinnon's McKinnon. the guy. I'd rather have oh, him yeah, that yeah, duo. No, you want McKinnon well, in the that only duo. Way, because Latavius, fantasy-wise, had a pretty good day last week. Right, definitely. But, but I think there's room for both of them to, to get points in that backfield. But if I have to pick one, it'd be McKinnon just for the big play potential. And one more fantasy thing. I just want to ask a quick question because I'm just in such an unfortunate situation here. I feel like I have the three most hopeless wide receivers in the league in terms of just waiting to break out. I want to hear who is the most hopeless. I have Devontae Parker, Terrell Pryor Sr., and Sammy Watkins. Well, that was your fault for drafting Terrell All of Pryor. them are like yeah. what, a what a trap that was. Is, 
Is Watkins the worst option or is Pryor the Pryor, worst option? Pryor. I do not. Yeah. I don't I don't like him. I didn't like him coming in the season. He was ranked 25 in ESPN leagues. That's of all players. Well, and I was just, thinking that so are you kidding decently me? Decently well in Cleveland last year on his first year as a wideout. I think that's I think that was ridiculous. But anyway, John DeBarrow will be coming back to you a couple more times before the end of the show. Charlie, we're about to talk Jets. Play that play that sound. York Jets. They are now three and four, right? They're three and four, three yes. and four on the season. An absolute disastrous fourth quarter against the Dolphins. I looked at ESPN's. Sometimes I like to go on and look at ESPN's like win probability, and I should never do that because the win probability for the for the Falcons in the Super Bowl was ninety nine point nine percent. There's no, yeah, there's there was no way. That the, there was a point zero one percent chance. That is absurd. There is no way that that happened. <laughs> but anyway, joking. but anyway, the Jets at twelve forty eight to go in the game, they had a ninety six point five percent chance of winning that game, and they ended up losing thirty one twenty eight. They blew a fourteen point lead in twelve minutes. They gave up seventeen points in twelve minutes, which is just which is unacceptable from a team. I know everybody's saying, oh, they're supposed to tank. They're supposed. They're playing well. They they hung with the Patriots. And they've won a couple good games in there. I mean, they beat a Jaguars team who are pretty solid, and they just took a massive, massive step back. It was just a typical Jets performance is is what it was. There's no better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, really, like, this was a team that was about to be, you know, oh and whatever. That was all of our predictions, and they could have been 4-4. Four and four. Yeah, seriously. Let's see what our Jets beat reporter uh, Matt Murphy has to say after last week's debacle. The 2017 New York Jets are coming back down to earth. The team blew a 14-point lead for the second straight week this past Sunday on the road in Miami. Gang Green had a chance at a season sweep of the Dolphins, but came up short with a sloppy fourth quarter. Cody Parkey's 39-yard field goal with 22 seconds left in regulation ended up being the game winner for the Fish. 31-28 the final, dropping the Jets below 500 at 3-4. For all of their sloppy play late in the game, the Jets somehow had possession when it was tied at 28 with 47 seconds left, but a costly Josh McCown interception on first down from the Jets' own 15-yard line led to the parky kick. Dolphins starting quarterback Jay Cutler left the game with an injury, and it was backup Matt Moore who led the comeback charge in the second half. One big bright spot to take away from the loss is the continued strong play of the rookie safeties Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Adams had seven tackles, two for a loss, and one sack while May recorded the second interception of his young career. This week, Adams, May, and the rest of the Jets get the reigning NFC champion, Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are 3-3, but all three losses have come in their last three contests, and all against AFC East teams. However, my official prediction is a 31-24 Falcons win. The Atlanta offense needs to get it going again at some point. Matt Ryan and company know that the NFC South is still wide open. Look for Julio Jones to post some good numbers, but also some of the secondary receivers as well, especially if Buster Screen doesn't suit up for the Jets. Screen isn't coming off his best game, to say the least, but he's their only experienced slot corner, and his absence could open things up over the middle. Covering the... I'm Matt Murphy, WFUV Sports. Matt Murphy, as always, with a fantastic Jets report. We hear him every week here on NFL Friday. I think 
he, he did mention it, but I don't think he mentioned it enough, just how boneheaded of a mistake that interception was from Josh McCown. That liter- Quite literally, I know a lot of times you can say, oh, this play cost him the game. That, that play literally cost him the game. All they have to do there is take a knee and go into overtime, and they have... They have all the. It's fifty-fifty at that point. They were in their own territory at about their own fifteen-yard line, and he decides to throw an out route to. He was looking for Jermaine Curse and throws it right to a dolphin. I couldn't believe my eyes. All I could do was just laugh. It was just an absolute gift from the Jets, and I feel bad for Jets fans because McCown played fantastically throughout that entire game, and he just blew it. He just threw it all away with one stupid decision. And honestly, I I put a lot of uh, I put a lot of fault on Todd, Todd Bowles, Bowles on that. That's why are you throwing the ball there? All you do run play or a draw play. You get ten yards, maybe okay. You use the timeout, maybe you can keep going, maybe you can try to get a field goal right at the end of the game. You run the ball first. You do not throw the ball on first down. That was ridiculous. That was just poor, poor, poor management from him. It's just unfortunate because McCown has played very well, not just in the game, but for the most part over the entire season. And it's really unfortunate to see something like that happen to him that might you turn the fans against him because, you know, that's all they're going to remember from this game. They're not going to remember, you know, the, the good first three quarters they did play. They're going to remember the boneheaded play calling. And maybe that's another reason so many fans are calling for Todd Bowles, you know, well, those types of plays that end up costing them games. I think another type of play that is making Jets fans call for Todd Bowles' head is the fact that Robbie Anderson throws his helmet when the, when the game is, first of all, the game is like almost over and Robbie Anderson just throws his helmet. On the field, like that is that is a character issue. That's something that, that has to be sorted. That out. just shows the lack of control Todd Bowles mm-hmm. has over his team. And this is going back to last year. Like you saw this on the sideline. Yep. I bring this up all the time. Todd Bowles. Yeah, it was a Monday night game. I forget who they were playing, but he's yelling at his team. And you can see in the background, players aren't even paying attention to him. Like they don't even care what he has to say. It's embarrassing. And I'm surprised he stayed on this season. I really am. But they, this game. It, this game isn't just Todd Bowles' fault. This game isn't just Josh McCown's fault. It's also Buster Screen's fault. He yeah, had an abysmal corner, second corner half. Corner play has been not too well, great. Well, they just don't have any corners, man. They really don't. They've they got those two great safeties, yeah, but they don't have any corners. Good. I'm telling you, Buster Screen is best fitted as the third corner. Oh, on the absolutely. Team, and it's just crazy that he's there now and the best guy by far he on got, the team. He got called for 36 penalty yards, Ooh. constantly burnt by Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills had two touchdowns. To, the penalties overall, 12 for 124 yeah, yards. That'll lose you again. That can't happen. That can't happen. And under Todd Bowles, the Jets have been pretty decent with penalties, but this year it's gone completely the other direction. They're one of the most penalized teams in the league, and 124 yards of penalties is unacceptable. I don't care who you're playing. It's- yeah, I'd love to be in that Jets locker room and just sort of get a sense of what Bowles' leadership characteristics are like because – I must say, I, I went to Jets training camp a few times last summer, and he has a unique aura about himself, I would say. It's not necessarily a commanding one. You know, I wouldn't say when he's up there on the podium, he's sort of, he doesn't speak very loudly, literally. He speaks very quiet. His voice is kind of weird. <laughs> and... uh Ah, I just would be interested to see what kind of leader he really is. We'll move on to next week, but I just want to drop a stat here. First time since 1995 under Rich Kotite that the Jets lost a game in which they led by 14 points in the fourth quarter. And you do not want to have any comparisons to a Rich Kotite coach <laughs> team. That was a real dark time I don't even for know Jets fans. <laughs> he, was, he was just an abysmal coach in the mid-90s for the Jets. What is it, Rick? Rich Kotite. Rich they went 1-15 in 1955 uh. and under Rich Kotite, and it was, just a, it was just a disaster. We'll move on to this week. Matt has them losing 31-24 to the Falcons. I think that's a lot of points. I would go a lot lo- lower scoring. I'm going to go maybe 21-10 Falcons in that one. I just think the Falcons, 
they know this is they, they can't lose another one. They've played four AFC East teams in a row, which is a very weird scheduling kind of quirk that I've never really seen before, playing four divisional teams in a row, like, four teams from the same division like that. Very weird. But anyway, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 21-10. I think the Falcons' offense has been ice cold recently. I know a lot of people are calling for Sarkeesian's head, and he's not done a great job with that offense. I mean, with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, and you, you can only score that many points against a abysmal Patriots defense. I know it's in Foxborough on Sunday night, but... Come on, that's that's just that's terrible. Here's the thing: the Falcons are in desperate, desperate need of a win. They're three and three. I don't know if I trust them though. In that's a division, what I, I don't this. know. The NFC South isn't that good. The Saints, you don't really know because the Saints have been so mediocre the past few years, and now they're looking decently. So I want to say we don't know we have the Saints. They lead at four and two. Well, I guess they're tied with the Panthers, who are four and three. The Panthers are a bad four and three. So who are you going with? Are you going and with the I'm Falcons? And I'm just saying that the Falcons probably on paper and everything, and they were in the Super Bowl last year. You know, they know they can win this division reasonably. I think they really would want to, obviously. But yeah, at three and three against the Jets, this is such a must win. Yeah, if this is a team with any postseason aspirations, this is a game they have to win. Like, realistically, do they need need it? No. But is it a game that looks really bad if they lose it? Yes. I think they ultimately pull it out. It'll go 24-13. It will be interesting with this whole, you know, idea of the Falcons need to pick it up offensively because we know they do. Yeah. And we know what they're capable of. And this has potentially disaster written all over it with Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu coming back, Taylor Gabriel. It's funny, in an ideal world, Taylor Gabriel would be guarded by Buster Screen in the slot. Yeah. And someone else would be on those two guys. But the thing is, and Matt brought this up, those two safeties really doing a good job. I recommend everyone should go follow Brian Baldinger. This NFL he's an ex player, okay. NFL network guy. Follow him on Twitter. He does amazing film breakdowns. And yeah. Marcus uh, May and Jamal Adams have Jamal been Jamal Adams had a they've great been f- they've been game. fantastic. They are they are really the shining light of this Jets team, and they're so, this is going to be a real tandem that Jets fans are going to get excited yeah. about for years to come. And it's cliche at this point because I feel like it's every week we're like, oh well, these rookie safeties are good, but like Jamal Adams, he was very hyped out of yeah. college, and to see the plays he makes around the line of scrimmage, and as Matt pointed out again, the tackles for loss is really encouraging. So we're going to move on to the Giants here in just a second. We've all got the Falcons, correct? We've all yes. got the Falcons. All right, yes. we'll, we'll do our pick a little bit later in the show. But right now, here's our second fantasy segment with John DeBarro. Predicting this week's fantasy duds is just as important as picking this week's fantasy studs. Here's who our expert thinks you should sit this week. Matthew Stafford's production this year has been limited by a Lions offense that focuses more on the short passing game. A matchup with the Steelers' pass defense that ranks second in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks won't help Stafford get his trademark deep ball going or end his turnover woes, as he's given it away eight times in six games this year. The lack of big play potential and a tough matchup makes Stafford a risky fantasy play in Week 8. Expect Lamar Miller to get his usual 20 touches, but don't expect him to get in the end zone against a stout Seattle run defense. Miller's failed to score in all but one game this season, and while Deshaun Watson brings some energy to the whole Houston offense, the Texans runner can't be counted on for a big day in fantasy. T.Y. Hilton has been the ultimate boomer bust wide receiver this year, with more than half of his total receptions on the year coming in just two games. With Andrew Luck still sidelines and a Colts offense that has failed to score a single point last week, Hillen is best left on the bench for this matchup against a capable Bengals pass defense. And those are some guys you should steer clear of in fantasy this week. John DeBarrow with his fantasy duds. Thanks a lot, John. We'll come back to you one more time before the end of the show. All right, let's talk about the G-Men. They fell to 1-6 and six on the season. Let's do it, Charlie. 
Yeah, not a lot of that let's go Giants cheering this season. A lot of just angry, angry Giants fans, and for good reason. This team is 1-6, and six. and... Tommy, what did you have them going before the season? What, what, what was the record <laughs> you had them doing? My number one guy here with that, John Furlong, thirteen and three. Yeah, Tommy yeah. had them going thirteen and three, and they are currently one and six on the season. Their receiving core absolutely depleted. <laughs> Eli Manning looking like he's about fifty-five years old. Yeah. Uh, run offensive line can't block anybody. It's just an absolute disaster. Uh, Tommy, defender, defender, boys, please. I can't. I mean, you'll hear <laughs> you'll hear this report. It's it's not good. It's not good. There we go. Let's hear the report right now, Charlie. Once again, the Giants just didn't have it on Sunday when they faced a tough Seattle team. It wasn't a good showing for New York on its home turf at MetLife Stadium. Let's just say the infamous 12s from Seattle, short for 12th men, were able to make their presence felt all day. Especially late in the fourth quarter when they flocked to the bottom rows and were the only ones left in attendance. Yup, it's that kind of year for Big Blue and it ain't gonna get prettier anytime soon. Derailed by injuries, Plagued with a weak offensive line, schematically impotent, this season is a wash. Sad, if only for the reason that every season is precious for 36-year-old quarterback Eli Manning, who has been put in no position to win in his latter years. The season is not a wash for the mere fact that the team is 1-6. The Giants started out 0-6 in 2013 and finished the year 7-9. It's more due to the fact that, hey, has anyone been watching these games? The Giants are a frustrating bunch, whether it be winning by the skin of their teeth back in the days of Odell Beckham Jr., or more recently, simply looking incompetent offensively. There is never a dull moment with these Giants. Most glaringly, however, it has been the palpably incompetent offense that has been affecting this team the most. Even when the unit could field Odell Beckham, Brandon Marshall, and Sterling Shepard, something felt lost, not right. Each play, specifically each run, almost makes you want to hold your breath. Something tells me it's not a lack of talent on the player's part, but either a major schematic issue or an intangible mindset issue that plagues the entire team and makes them play like they're walking on eggshells. Either way, the Giants have some serious soul-searching to do this bye week, as they will likely contemplate the first half of this disappointing 2017 season. Perhaps major changes are in order. Covering the Giants, I'm Tommy Aldridge. WFUV Sports. Tommy Aldridge which, uh, with our weekly Giants report, who are thankfully on a bye this week. Don't have to subject anyone to that torture like <laughs> they did last week. Well, what was that? What a weird music choice. It sounds like we were like at a... at a. It's like what a bad movie would play at like a senior prom for yeah. a slow dance. Like I don't know what I don't know what that was. It sounds like some weird like cart like cartoon video game or something. I must it's, say, on, yeah, honestly, that that's that's a good way to put it. Honestly, sums up the Giants season. Just Telling what? the Giants like, aren't what? a bad movie. <laughs> that's yeah, the Giants are the bad movie and the bad bad music. That is that is the Giants this season. I think the only reason that game was kind of close with Seattle is because. Seattle has this awful tendency of playing down to their opponents this year. They they can't seem to blow out anybody. They they kind of tread water for about 30 minutes and then figure out, oh, we're playing a terrible team. Now Russell Wilson, go throw the ball and win us the game. That's what they do in the second half. And the first half is just absolutely abysmal to watch, and that's what they did against the Giants. There was this play, I, rem- I remember, I-, I know I think you tweeted about this, Tommy. In the first half, the Seahawks ran nine plays inside the 10. They scored zero points. So I don't care. This this doesn't reflect just upon the Giants. I mean, the Giants, yeah, they kept them out of the end zone, but that reflects pretty badly on the Seahawks. You've got nine chances. I don't care if this is the 85 Bears on defense. If you can't score with nine chances inside the 10, that's on the offense. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you have it does look bad on both teams' parts, but you know, there's a bit of that you know, really strong red zone offense or defense for the Giants that we saw last year. They were very good in the red zone last year. One of the big things that a lot of people saw in their defense because of that, a lot of people kind of, I thought, overrated their defense because it was a defense that allowed a ton of yards, but didn't give up very many points because their defense in the red zone was very good. Um, So I guess we saw a little bit of that this game, and then I guess that's why they were in the first half, and then, you know, regression happened in the second half. That's a really good point, Dom. The the Giants were very bend, not break on defense. If you watch the games, you can see that. Um, but it is a good point that the Seahawks, you know, this was a bit of a scare for the Seahawks at one yeah. point because it was a bit of a pitcher's duel defensively. But once Eli fumbled the ball, it was over. <laughs> yeah, and as you said, they kind of just said, hey, all right, Russell, can you throw the ball? And then they made a couple of really nice plays down oh, the absolutely. field. Oh, uh, Baldwin is just He's so such good. a consistent really player, underrated you know, well. just a really solid receiver in the league for a really long time. He absolutely smoked Dominique Rogers Cromartie on his long touchdown. This I said this in the in the rundown earlier on in the show. That win against the Broncos on Sunday night football really shows it shows more about the Broncos because the Broncos are absolutely abysmal against Got the Chargers. Shut out this the Chargers. Week. Seriously, shut Trevor out. Simeon. Somebody, somebody has figured him out because he has been abysmal these past few weeks. Their offense is it's it's you know with it, not just statistically throw stats out just talking about ugly gross things to they watch, do not pass the they eye really test. rival the Giants I mean Trevor Simeon and that offense even though they have two really good receivers they they're like the Giants where they look lost yeah they really do this is definitely a lost season for the Giants who are you drafting are you drafting a QB are you taking Saquon Barkley if he's there right now they're looking like the five or six pick right now I don't think they're gonna go like one and 15 this season I think they'll go maybe like five and 11 that'll get them about five or six pick like Dallas did when they drafted Zeke what are your what are your thoughts I wouldn't be so co- I mean it's funny that this conversation is like flipped I wouldn't yep. for them to go even five wins I think that they have to go four and three or no there's nine games left. I don't know. You think they're going to go three and thirteen? <sighs> Completely reverse what you thought they were going to go at the beginning of the season. They might. That would be great. You no, know, they really might. The wow. way they're playing, I'm surprised. I think they're going to win five games. I think they'll figure it out. I think there are going to be some teams who are really mailing it in at the end of the season. The Giants. Ben McAdoo won't let that happen just because he's That's playing true. for his job. Yeah. So, Dom, what do you? Your thoughts on that? I I can see four. I don't know about five. It's probably it is possible, but I don't know if this team has it in them because, especially after Denver. Yeah, I, I wasn't even sure if they'd win five after the Denver game, and now after the disgusting performance against the Seahawks, I don't know if I can even see five. I mean, the easy games they do have are on the road, which means they might accidentally let one of them slip away, like the 49ers and Cardinals they play, both those teams on the road. I'm sure they'll beat the 49ers, not but even, I'm not no, sure not about anything so. with this why team. Can the, yeah, why can we... And look, this is coming from me. Why should we give this team any credit and I mean the 49ers have three first rounders on their defensive line they could blow up a game in Eli Manning's face in a second I'm just saying there's not many teams as bad as New York it's crazy all their home games too the two non-division road games are the Rams and Chiefs the Chiefs Chiefs have been a little shaky lately but both those teams have looked very good when you look at the overall body of work for the season and then you have the three division teams who are just looking to beat the Giants because they're the doormat so and hey, right now, 
I mean, I was just watching the game. I think it was the Sunday night game. I'm looking at Philly and saying, man, yeah. this could be the representative for the NFC. Yeah, they're serious. So the Eagles I are mean, playing really they're well. They're the cream of the crop as it stands. No, I, I, I physically I they are. It's five and one. Yeah. They are the best team. They have the best record in the league. We'll move on from the Giants on a bye week this week, thankfully, <laughs> saving a Woo. lot of people from some to- from some torture, watching some bad football. November 5th, they are home against the Rams. That is the Giants' next game. All right, John DeBarro is going to have our final fantasy report, and then we're going to go to our pick'em segment. Nailing sleeper picks is a surefire way to get your team a victory. Here are some players that fantasy owners are currently overlooking. Andy Dalton draws a favorable matchup this week against a Colts defense that ranks in the bottom five in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Dalton has shown flashes of being a consistent fantasy option, and an improving offense led by A.J. Green and the emerging Joe Mixon should help him make the most of an easy matchup. We didn't see much of Wendell Smallwood for the Eagles in last week's win against Washington, but expect him to be more involved in the game plan this week against the 49ers defense that ranks dead last in fantasy points allowed to running backs. Though LeGarrette Blunt is always a threat to steal goal line carries, Smallwood should see enough targets in the passing game to put up solid fantasy production. Another player set to take on a bigger role in his team's offense this week is Redskins receiver Josh Doxson, who has officially moved ahead of Terrell Pryor on the depth chart. He's been on the field for over 50 snaps in each of Washington's last two games, which should translate to better chemistry with quarterback Kirk Cousins in this week's matchup against the beatable Cowboys secondary. And those are some fantasy plays that will give you the edge in Week 8. We are back for just about ready for our pick'em segment, John. Thank you. I think I like that Andy Dalton pick. If you're if your quarterback's on a bye and you need a you need a player to come in and play quarterback for you, Andy Dalton against a very weak Chiefs. This Chiefs this Chiefs team, this Colts team is really really bad. And oh, yeah. it seems like they're about to about ready to mail it in this season. And Andy Dalton, he's got some weapons. He's got AJ Green. I'm excited. I got AJ Green. I'm ready for him to go up against that Colts Colts defense. I'm we got excited. Some tight end in in. Replacing Eifert Boyle Doyle, right? Jack Doyle is on the Colts. Oh, Jack Doyle's the Colts. Jack Doyle's on the Colts. But it's they also oh, are operating with a backup tight end right yeah. now, and I'm just wondering, you know, backup starting. I forget it. I forget his name. But anyway, we'll go. We'll we'll talk about fantasy after the show. This is now time for our pick'em segment. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. All right, first game on the schedule, Dolphins-Ravens. I'm taking Dolphins in a blowout. Oh, just kidding. Never <laughs> uh, first game, actually, that we have to pick is Vikings-Browns in London at 9.30 a.m. Nice little gift to London, sending the Browns over there. I'm going Vikings. Tommy, you can start. Yeah, I like the Vikings in this one as well. I like that running game. I love a good London game. Football all day. Start off with a win for the Vikings. Never choose the Browns-Vikings. Next up is Falcons-Jets. We all talked about that. I think, John, we need your pick on that one. Yeah, I like the Falcons too, but like you guys were saying, I think it's going to be lower scoring than people think. Next one is Panthers-Buccaneers. I'm going Panthers on the road. Buccaneers, I don't know, Jameis Winston really seems to be regressing this year. I'm not a huge fan of him right now. I'll take the Panthers in this one. I think they need to get it back. Carolina looks really good. I'll take them too. I think we're going to take Tampa, even though you can't kick field goals in Tampa. Maybe we'll see that be a problem again in that field, but I'll, I'll, I'll take Tampa anyway. Jameis Winston questionable for that game, by oh, the way. 49ers-Eagles. I'm going to go with the Eagles here. I don't know. I, I kind of paused there for a second. This seems to me like kind of a trap game for the yeah. Eagles, but I'll take them. Yeah, I feel you there, man, but Eagles at home, I'll take the Eagles too. Yeah, Niners are winless for a reason. Eagles. I feel like the 49ers are so overdue for a win, but the Eagles are just too good, so I'm going to stick with Philly. Bears, Saints, 
at the Superdome. I'm going Saints here. Bears have been playing well recently, but mostly because of that defense, and I, I just think this New Orleans offense is too good. Yeah, Bears have been so much more interesting than I thought. I really thought they were the worst team in the league going into the season, but uh, I'm going to take the Saints at home in the Superdome. If this were in Chicago, I think I definitely would have taken the Bears, but I'm with you. not, I'm going to take the Saints at home. Yeah, talk about a trap game. I feel like the Bears have been a trap game for everyone. They seem to play everybody tough, but I'm going to go with the Saints too. They've been playing well. Everybody goes for the, the Everybody goes for the Saints at we home. We also all credit the Bears. I like that. No, exactly. No, they've, they're worth crediting after last week's performance. All right, Patriots, Chargers. I initially circled the Chargers. I'm not going to lie. I think... I don't know, this Chargers team, Phillip Rivers, is he's heating up a little bit. He's tired of playing the way he did earlier on in the season. I got to go with the Patriots, though, in Foxborough. I don't think I don't think the Chargers are good enough. Agree with you there. I mean, really took the words out of my mouth. You want to say the Chargers are going to keep it going, but there's something about the Pats at home. Chargers have looked good. Patriots have looked like they're due to lose one or two. But, again, in Foxborough, have to take well, the I thought Patriots. you were going to do it. I thought you were going to take the Chargers there. Yeah, I'm tempted as well. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a shootout, actually. I think we'll see a lot of points in it, but... I'm going to have to stick with the Patriots. Next one on the on the docket, Raiders-Bills. I'm going Raiders on the road going up to upstate New York and getting the W against a really mercurial Bills team. You never know what version of them you're going to get, so I got Raiders. Yeah, same with the Raiders, too. I mean, this game could go either way. It's probably the hardest pick for the of the week for I would me. Agree. I'm going to give it to the Bills at home. I'm also going to take the Bills. I think this is a game where they're going to try to establish themselves as the main contender of the shaky Patriots in the AFC East. Yeah, I have to go with Buffalo as well. I think that is a tough home environment, and I think the Raiders are going to have a really hard time defending Tyrod Taylor on the ground. Bengals Colts in Cincinnati. I'm going with the Bengals and Andy Dalton. I think last week they played better than the score would represent. I'm going I'm going uh, A.J. Green and company. Bengals. Bengals. Yeah, me too. Cincinnati. Yeah, that's that was probably an easy pick. This is probably the game of the weekend. Texans in Seattle to take on the Seahawks. I'm going to Sean Watson. He's the hottest arm in the league right now. I'm going Texans. Yeah, oh, man, this is another really good game. I'll take the Texans too. Yeah, give me those Texans. I was looking at this before the show. Like, that's my pick, and everybody else has them too. <laughs> well, but, you know, got to go with those Texans. We talked about it. The way the Seahawks looked against the Giants was a little scary. John, over to you. Yeah, I know Seattle's home field isn't really the advantage it was when that team was in its prime, but I still think it's going to be a tough place for a rookie quarterback to go into, so I like the Seahawks. Interesting pick. And Charlie Maizano in the back, he's saying Texans big. Redskins and Cowboys on Fox game in their of the big year. yeah the way they've been promoting it it's basically the game of the year to them. I'm going to go Redskins at home. I know they looked pretty poor against the Eagles on Monday night, but I don't know. I just I, this strikes me as the game that the Redskins are going to they're going to play up to their competition. I think they beat the Cowboys. Yeah, Zeke coming off a really good game. Uh I want to say he keeps going. I'll take the Cowboys. Take the Cowboys too. I think this is when they separate themselves from the rest of that division. Becomes Eagles, Cowboys, going to race it out for the division. In fairness, I was one of the guys who last week thought the Cowboys would lose to the Niners, and I ended up Whoa. being really wrong about that. But I just don't think the Cowboys are that good, and I like the Redskins at home. Me and John both going with the Redskins. Steelers-Lions on Sunday night. I'm going Detroit at home. Tommy, over to you. I'll go with the Steelers on the road in this one. I think I'll take the Steelers, too. Yeah, I'm going to take the Steelers as well. I'm worried about this one, though, because I do think Detroit is a good team. Detroit at home. Ford Field is a tough place to play, especially, but the Steelers do have a good tendency to play up to their competition. However, they do have a tendency to play down to their competition when they're playing a poor team. Final game of the weekend, Broncos-Chiefs in Kansas City. I'm going Chiefs big. 
I can't believe we're seeing the Chiefs again on primetime. I don't mind, but it's just crazy. I like the Chiefs. Yeah, struggled a bit lately, but got to take the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, I have to stick with the Chiefs. They've just really ruled that division over the past few years, and Denver looking as awful as they do. I think it's an easy pick. Chiefs. So there, there are picks at WFUV Sports on Twitter later tonight. You can see all of them, and you can see the final results on Tuesday. Full disclosure here, Tommy Aldridge says he just comes in here and just doesn't do any research on the games. He just picks them blindly, and I'm, I, I respect that very much, Tommy. It's very tough. You know, picks, it's, it's the reason I don't like going through a team's schedule and saying, you know, we can win this game. It's just any given Sunday, man. No, I 100% agree with you. That's what the makes the NFL, especially this year, makes the NFL really fun. All right, we're out of here. This is the Week 8 edition of NFL Friday. For Tommy Aldridge, for Tom Muscarella, and our fantasy expert, John DeBarro, and all the trainees in the back, there are like 15 of them. I lost count. Thanks to everybody, and we'll talk to you again next week.